Section 7 of Louis Pasteur by Albert Keim and Louis Lumet. Translated by Frederick Tabor Cooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 4. For the National Wealth. Part 2. Pasteur left Paris in the early days of June 1865 and installed himself at Pont Piquet in a small silkworm farm near Alaïs, in the very heart of the stricken district. The diseases of silkworms had already been studied by Guérin, Menville, Lebert, and Frey, Osimo, Cantoni, and Catrafage, the latter of whom gave its name to the most redoubtable of these diseases, Pébérine. In this disease, the bodies of the infected worms became covered over with spots resembling grains of pepper. It was known in a vague way that it was caused by corpuscles, but when it became a question of determining their nature and the manner of their invasion, there was nothing but darkness and contradictions. As for remedies, they were purely empirical. Resort was had to sulfur, sugar, ground mustard, ashes, etc., and all of them were quite in vain. Pasteur had to find his way through an inextricable labyrinth, without any special knowledge, and armed solely with his intuitive mind and his unrivaled qualities as an investigator. In his Histoire d'un Esprit, Duclos, who together with Guernet and Maillot was his collaborator at Pont-Biquet, relates all the fluctuations of that six years' struggle, with its mistakes, its hopes, and its discouragements, surrounded by the indifference and the hostility of those whose interests it disturbed, and the final triumph, assured, indisputable, and universally acclaimed. At the very beginning, Pasteur made the mistake of thinking that the corpuscles were the result of Pébrine, in that they did not make their appearance until the disease had reached a certain stage. But notwithstanding that he was wrong in this, he established the fact that corpusculous moths produced corpusculous eggs, and that the whole problem was to find a way of obtaining healthy eggs. In this way he opened up the path to the truth. After experiments of unimagined delicacy which demanded ceaseless watchfulness, Pasteur convinced himself that the corpuscles were not an effect of the disease, but its cause, a form of parasite that invaded the bodies of the silkworms. He proved that Pébrine was hereditary and contagious, and that the variations that were shown to occur in the disease were due solely to the state of receptivity of the individual insects, according as they were more or less sensitive to the action of the parasite. Here we have an embryo, the theory of microbic diseases, which was destined a few years later to revolutionize the science of medicine. Pasteur converted himself into a cultivator of silkworms, and after many alterations between success and defeat, he obtained eggs that were perfectly healthy. His method was simple. After the moths had finished laying, he reduced their bodies to a pulp and examined them under a microscope, and every batch of eggs that was thus shown to have come from a corpusculous moth was destroyed. This operation, although so simple, 
encountered desperate opposition on the part of the vendors of silkworm eggs with whose trade it interfered. It required all of Pasteur's energy to overcome this opposition and all his activity as well, for he had to respond to all the appeals of the silk producers who sought his eggs or his advice as to the best methods to follow. A campaign of insults and calumnies was organized against the great man, and it is even stated that he once had to seek safety in Alais, followed by an angry mob that stoned him as he went. Pasteur was keenly sensitive to such malevolent attacks, but nonetheless he continued his task. Rising early in the morning, he would stand for long hours before the cases of silkworms, making observations and recording the daily results of his experiments, never discouraged, or at least overcoming by force of will, those moments when the desired goal seemed as remote as ever, and proceeding to begin his work over again, to correct his opinions in accordance with the newly observed facts, with no intention of halting until he should hold within his powerful grasp the indisputable truth. What a heroic battle! It must not be forgotten that Pasteur hardly knew what silkworms were when he undertook to cure them. The celebrated entomologist Henri Fabre relates in his souvenirs the details of a visit that Pasteur paid him upon arriving in the south. Pasteur requested to see some cocoons. Fabre brought him a handful. The illustrious scientist took them in his hand, turned and returned them, shook them near his ear and exclaimed, Why, there's something inside. The chrysalis, replied Fabre. The chrysalis? What's that? A sort of mummy into which the caterpillar changes before becoming a moth. And inside of every cocoon there's one of those things? Certainly. It is to protect the chrysalis that the caterpillar spins its cocoon. Ah, responded Pasteur simply. Is not this an admirable scene as described by the old entomologist Fabre? Pasteur knew nothing. Pasteur worked, observed, drew deductions, came to a conclusion, and where everyone else had failed, he alone succeeded. Such is the power of genius. The work upon silkworms had its interruptions, for Pasteur tried to reconcile his personal researches with his functions as director of scientific studies at the École Normale. But in any case, he was forced to abandon them in 1867 as the result of a small rebellion among the students, due to a discourse delivered by Sainte-Beuve before the Senate on the subject of freedom of opinion. The school had been dismissed, and the directors Nisard, Pasteur, and Jacquenet replaced in the course of reorganization. The Minister of Public Instruction, Duret, appointed Pasteur professor of chemistry at the Sorbonne. But where was he to find a new laboratory? The only adequate one at the École Normale was occupied by Sainte-Claire-de-Ville, and it was impossible even to think of returning to the wretched quarters where the experiments on spontaneous generation had been made, then it was that Pasteur, who in spite of his personal modesty was conscious of all that he was still able to do for science, requested that a laboratory should be constructed for him. This request was made in a note of such an exalted tone 
that it deserves to be reproduced in its entirety. It was addressed to Napoleon III. Sire, wrote Pasteur, my researches in regard to fermentations and the role played by microscopic organisms have opened up to physiological chemistry new avenues of which the agricultural industries and the study of medicine have already begun to reap the fruit. But the field which remains to be traversed is immense. My greatest desire would be to explore this field with renewed ardor, without being hampered by the insufficiency of material means. Since it involves seeking by a patient and scientific study of putrefaction, for certain principles capable of guiding us to a discovery of the causes of putrid or contagious diseases, I should like to be installed in some building where the laboratory and its various dependencies would afford enough space to carry on the experiments comfortably and without danger to health. But how can researches be conducted in relation to gangrene, the viruses, and experiments in inoculation, unless we have quarters suitable for receiving animals, whether alive or dead? Butcher's meat brings an exorbitant price in Europe, but it is a superfluity in Buenos Aires. How is it possible in a cramped laboratory lacking in the necessary resources to apply all the various tests to processes which perhaps render the preservation and transportation of meat a simple matter. The disease, properly known as sangue de rat, splenic apoplexy, causes in the district of Beauce an annual loss of four million francs. It would be indispensable to go there, no doubt for several successive seasons, at the period of the greatest heat, and spend several weeks in the environs of Charente in order to carry on a series of minute observations. These researches, and a thousand others, which according to my belief are related to the great phenomenon of the transformation of organic matter after death, and the enforced return of every living thing to the soil and the atmosphere, are compatible only with the installation of a vast laboratory. The time has come to emancipate the experimental sciences from the obstacles which trammel them. Napoleon III responded to this eloquent appeal in which Pasteur outlined, to a certain extent, the program of his future work. He gave an order to Duray to gratify this legitimate desire of the scientist and the Minister of Public Instruction, that a laboratory should be built for him by the state in the gardens of the École Normale. But they needs must reckon with administrative delays. The plans were handed in by the architect of the École, M. Pouchot, in accordance with Pasteur's specifications in September 1867. But the actual work was delayed until a year later, after Pasteur had denounced in a pamphlet the Bouget de la Science, the lamentable conditions under which French scientists were obliged to conduct their experiments, as compared with scientists in other countries, and notably in Germany. Meanwhile, a catastrophe was about to befall Pasteur and even Menace's life. On the 19th of October, 1868, he was prostrated by an attack of paralysis on the left side, 
and so gravely affected that for the first twenty-four hours a fatal termination was feared. Pasteur rallied from the crisis, thanks to the robustness of his constitution, and it was during those days of physical and mental suffering, while he lay motionless as though stricken by a thunderbolt, that he revealed most vividly the loftiness of his thoughts, the beauty of his character, and the stoic grandeur of his principles. On the second afternoon of his illness, Dr. Godelier, who was attending him, was enabled to make the following announcement in his health bulletin. He wishes to talk about science. In reply to saint Clair de Ville, who had spoken some affectionate words of encouragement, he uttered the following admirable phrase, I regret to die, I should like to have been of more service to my country. His preoccupation as a scientist never for an instant left him, as Dr. Godelier himself attested, and eight days after his attack he dictated a note to Monsieur Guernet, his assistant, in relation to the disease of silkworms. Pasteur was surrounded with the most devoted care of his family and also by his pupils who loved him as they might have loved a father who was somewhat cold, somewhat distant, but who hid beneath an external reserve a warm heart ever ready to defend his friends. Messieurs Guernet, Duclos, Roland, Didon, and Berton took turns in watching beside him, anxiously following the successive phases of his illness. The whole scientific world was troubled, as though facing the possibility of a great disaster, and Napoleon III himself demanded news every morning. Six weeks after his attack, Pasteur was able to rise and entered upon his convalescence. He had been affected badly by the stoppage of the work upon his laboratory, which had coincided with the beginning of his illness, but by the order of the emperor it had been resumed, and from his window Pasteur could see the foundations beginning to rise. The hope of soon being able to recommence his experiments with the help of material means, such as he had long desired, hastened his cure. While he rested his body, he went into a sort of spiritual retirement. He read, or had read to him, the thoughts of Pascal, the knowledge of God and of oneself, and the works of Nicole. This man of science, unique in his qualities as an experimenter, who would abandon any and every theory in the face of facts, always separated science from faith, and it is known that he was a practical Catholic to the day of his death. As soon as he could be removed, Pasteur wished to return to the south of France, in order to continue his study of silkworms and clear up certain points which seemed to him to be still obscure. He disregarded all suggestions of prudence, and in spite of his weakened condition he installed himself, in January 1869, at Saint-Hippolyte-du-Pont, near Alaïs. Shortly after his arrival, Pasteur, who still moved his left arm and leg clumsily, fell to the ground, and once more had to take to his bed. But he nonetheless continued to work, dictating the experiments to be made to his collaborators, Guernet, Roland, and Maillet, and informing himself each day of the observations they had gathered. His method was still combated, 
and while certain silk producers declared that it was excellent, certain organized bodies, such as the Silk Commission of Lyon, questioned its value. Pasteur forwarded to the members of this commission several samples of eggs, indicating in advance what result each of the samples should give. The boldness of his predictions was a proof of his certainty, and as a matter of fact they were realized. Nevertheless, his adversaries refused to lay down their arms, even though his processes began to be employed abroad, and the Austrian government awarded him a prize of 10,000 francs in recognition of the services he had rendered to the culture of silkworms. Not only did Pasteur find a cure for pébrine, but also for another disease of silkworms known as flacherie, which was almost as much dreaded as the former. Marichal Vaillant, minister of the house to Napoleon III, decided to try the Pasteur method experimentally in one of the domains of the crown. A vast property planted with mulberry trees was chosen. It belonged to the Prince Imperial and was situated at Villa Vicentina in Austrian Fruili. Pasteur set forth in November 1869 with healthy eggs obtained by his process of cellular breeding from three cultivators, Monsieur Rebaud, Mio, and Gourdin, and immediately upon arriving he set to work. For the previous ten years the imperial domain, infected with pébrine and flacherie, had produced nothing, while the harvest resulting from Pasteur's eggs gave a net profit of 22,000 francs. It formed a neat little surplus for the purse of the Prince Imperial. Pasteur remained for eight months at Villa Vicentina, and there put the finishing touches to his work in which he systematized all his previous studies on silkworms. His former master Dumas had the pleasure of introducing to the Academy of Science at a meeting held the 11th of April, 1870, and of pronouncing the eulogy on his Studies on the Disease of Silkworms, a Practical and Assured Method of Combating It and Preventing Its Return. The Academy had spoken. The victory was complete. Pasteur had been made Senator of the Empire by a decree issued the previous July, and he was returning to France, impatient to begin new researches, when he learned at Strasbourg, with an inexpressible sinking of the heart, that war had been declared. This meant the postponement of all his projects, of all those researches which he wished to undertake for the benefit of humanity. The scientists no longer had the floor. End of Section 7